Hey everybody, welcome to this Ocean Life podcast. I'm your host, Josh Peterson. Today's podcast episode is brought to us by our good friends at Mile 22, makers of surf and paddleboard straps, including the world-famous Monster Straps, which I myself love, 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 love. Check them out at mile22.com. Now, today in episode number 60, we speak with Tom Wagner, a legend in the world of surfboard shaping, who spent the last four decades building and riding a wide array of different boards. Tom takes us to the story of his youth surfing and shaping in Southern California, the influence of Donald Takayama that helped guide Tom to pursue the art of shaping, and find the spirit of Ohana, family, as a key aspect of longboard surfing culture. Tom describes the evolution of his own shaping from fiberglass and foam into wooden boards and how he shares his passion for the traditional Olo and Alea wooden boards that he today continues to focus on building and teaching others how to craft. We hear Tom's perspective and excitement for a transformation happening in longboarding, the convergence of high performance and traditional riding that he recently witnessed at the famous Noosa Festival of Surfing, where he was MC. A ton of great history and perspective on longboard surfing culture from a man who's been front and center within it for decades. So thanks to Tom for sharing with us all. Thanks to you all for being here, supporting the podcast. Hope you're getting out in the water, doing something great for the ocean and something great for each other. Now with that, let's get into the ocean life of Tom Wagner. Hey Tom, welcome to this Ocean Life podcast, my man. Oh man, it's an honor to be here, Josh. Cheers, brother. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you had a pretty big week last week. You a couple big things. Two big things went down for you. One was you had a birthday, so happy birthday to you. <laughs> yeah. And I, I I saw something on Facebook. It was what big the big thirty four. Was that right? Oh, there's something like that. <laughs> you know, thirty four plus twenty. <laughs> <laughs> Close enough. Who's counting, man? <laughs> <laughs> uh man and then simultaneously during that time you used the noosa longboard festival which is a pretty legendary event 28 years running you were the mc of that right so how was that man T- take us through that the whole week last week for you well it was a dream of mine to be the mc of the noosa festival of surfing especially this one because the wsl was coming oh. and the reason is um longboarding's changing right now and there's and it's there's so much going on just within the genre of longboarding. And with this contest, the exciting thing was that traditional longboarding and modern longboarding really came to a head. Like uh, the, the two sides were meeting between uh, the locals, which is the Thomas Bexon crew, Harrison Roach, uh, yeah. Cuddle. The, the local guys were just real um, traditional single fin riders. And then you had with the WSL, you had. Um, Tyler Jensen and Harley Ingleby and Steven Sawyer and uh, Phil Rosman coming from overseas. And they were going to be mixing it up on the points and in the comps. And wow. we got to see, you know, the the two, what, we're, what we thought were the two extreme styles coming together. And then uh, there was a lot of talk about judging, like what is the criteria? What is a good wave? Yeah. And, um, you know, a lot, a lot of real arguments and, uh, and um, uh, yeah, arguments about what is judging and how do you judge it and i wanted to be right in the middle of it so i, I was so happy that i was the mc um, doing the talking while the entire new uh noosa festival of surfing was going on and then during the wsl i commentated for a couple of heats but mostly just watched uh, from the sidelines and watched that go down because my sort of announcing isn't really consistent with the WSL because I, I talk a lot, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I, I throw in, you know, a bit of history, you know, of course I'm always talking about Joel Tudor, who's just the man. I, I think yeah. uh, the influence of Joel Tudor is, is still very underestimated and all that kind of stuff. So being um, the MC, but the, the classic thing is that the, that I think that the two sides of surfing have completely amalgamated into one. Uh, wow. The differences between the two have just absolutely f- faded away. And like there's an open division and at, at longboarding. So there's the longboard open division. And then there's the classic, um, oh, what do they call it? The, um, 
but basically the traditional side, the classic traditional side, I forget the name of that, the division. Yeah. And then they have something called the old male division down here. And in those, the, the open, you'd expect to see the modern progressive wide stance, um, five and light long words trying to hit the lip. And then in the traditional, you kind of have a mindset of guys just trimming across waves. And then in the, like, well, like Harrison Roach with doing more than trimming, but um, you know, with single fin real traditional style. And then in the old Mal, you expect to see 1960s surfing. Well, they're all the same. As there I was announcing saying, you guys are riding the same boards. Like a lot of you guys are taking your old Mal's and riding them in the Logger Pro division. So it's called the Logger Pro and then the Open and in the Open division. So the surfing was basically identical across all the boards. Wow. So, so let me kind of play that back to, to make sure I get you here. Cause as a l- guy who grew up longboarding myself and I've tried the more high performance stuff. Now I'm back to single fin, blah, blah, blah. I get what you're saying. So you're watching the heat now where you have a, like a, a traditional longboarder who's more walking to the nose, trimming across the wave. The next guy who's up and riding might be like kind of throwing spray. And like you said, hitting the lip. So those guys are all competing in one division now is that correct that's what you're saying well those um they were they were in different divisions but the surfing actually really came down where there's there was that same sort of divide basically in a division but you could really see when you have really good longboarding going on and and so looking at the two of them together you kind of, you kind of, you, 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 they're, they're mixing it up. Like it's uh, right in the middle, right in between okay. the two extremes. You have guys mostly on single fins, yeah. really doing driving cutbacks, throwing spray on those boards like Harrison Roach. But at the same time, going behind the wet water, trying to maintain their speed, standing in front of the wide point on the board, getting incredibly fast trim through okay. the waves and looking really smooth with their feet together, with a bet, with a, with a more, uh, a classic style. And yeah, then the guys with with the real wide stances, they're not going very fast, and they they kind of look silly. And to be honest, I think the better guys with the modern style actually are looking looking more and more like Harrison Roach. To be honest, like, um, yeah, even in the WSL, I, it just appeared to me that uh, even the high pro guys were pretty traditional in their style there they were actually working on on stepping here they're not not being so firmly planted in the middle of the board and riding it like a shortboard but stepping into turns and stepping out of turns and it just looks better and it, i'm sure it surfs better so i think what they're doing is they're just evolving i think that there's a quantum leap in surfing right, right. now yeah right and, now so yeah go ahead well i just think that that the um what we call the joey hawkins era of a uh, really, really light longboard surfing is just not going to cut it. Like if you put, if you put those guys next to Harrison Roach and they're, they're just standing planted on their surfboard, not moving or just kind of hopping to the nose and hopping back real quick. They will just not score anywhere near Harrison Roach uh, right. on, on a wave. There's just no way. Huh. How uh, interesting. I mean, especially from your perspective, a guy who, and we'll get into this in a little bit, you know, coming from a rich longboarding history, your entire life, being part of like that eighties longboard revolution, being part of it, shaping boards. And now here we are in 2019 and you're seeing, as you said, this like convergence, this evolution of longboarding that's it's happening right now. I mean, so what's your kind of gut reaction to it? I mean, it sounds like you're pretty hyped on it. It sounds epic to me. And I've seen some guys like that in Santa Cruz where I am, who I shouldn't say did one of the other kind of approach to longboarding, but I just see him doing a little bit of bull. Both, you know yeah. and so what's your perspective on that oh well i'm stoked you know i I'm, I'm finally you know excited about longboarding again you know like watching the yeah. the contests and so forth and being involved in some of the australian style contests literally 15 years ago here in australia i just said oh my god you know this is this is terrible it's all super high pro it's um the high pro thing yeah. was like one maneuver uh, or one point one maneuver so you do a maneuver you get a point Another maneuver, you get a point. And it didn't look, didn't look like, didn't matter if you look like garbage in between the two maneuvers. It was just right. point, 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 point. And now uh, the, the judges have just gone past that, where Keenan uh, Roxbury, the head judge, was like, look, you guys, they have to link them. They have to link maneuvers together. They can't be jerky. If they're jerky at doing a, a maneuver and then running out of speed and then trying to hop and do the next maneuver, that's a zero. And yeah. so Keenan was totally all over it as a head judge and, and watching him 
understand because Keenan Keenan's a good surfer. You know, he's a top one uh, percent or even top zero zero point one percent surfers in this world, and he knows what he's looking at. And then I'm going to change that. That what happened at this particular contest is we started out with the under fifteen girls and guys, and this is the weirdest thing. And you're not going to believe it on the radio out there, but the under fifteen girls were surfing better than anybody else in the contest. Oh, it wasn't, yeah. cool. it wasn't small. It was overhead on those girls. I mean, it would be a solid overhead on us relative, but they're just, they're tiny little things. And the waves were overhead and girls like Avalon, who uh, won the under 18 division, who were here surfing was spectacular to the point, for example, she's taking off and there's this big wall in front of her and it kind of would close down like Makaha and then you'd have to come around the wall. Well, she would be hanging 10 backside and just waiting and waiting and waiting on the wall. And then the wave would break on her board. And as the wave broke on her board, it would go over her shoulders. The board would buck forward and then she would back off the nose. Wow. She would not back off the nose until it was until a good hard moment of falling off your chair going back off for God's sake. And then she would make it <laughs> and just go flying forward. And so time after time, these backside girls would be high in the lip and the wave would just throw them and they would, their toes would be curled around the nose and they wouldn't let go. And they would fly out into the flats and finally they would step back off their board, you know, while literally, you know, I'm, I need a pacemaker. I'm just freaking out, you know, judging like, I can't believe I just saw that. Did that just happen? Did somebody pinch me? Like what? happened there but then it would happen again and then the other thing is that these young girls they would after hanging 10 the section would break in front of them they'd back off and then they would set the rail come around the section and then instead of going way out of the shoulder like you'd expect everybody to do they would come out from the whitewash right in the steepest part of the wave and then drive a cutback under the lip and then go back behind the whitewash so wow. doing this tight, tight, tight turn, unbelievable, usually going backside. And then they'd, they'd come around. They'd be going left where you know, the, the noose is a right point. They'd be going left. They would step forward on their board, get speed into trim going left, and then step back off their board, spin it around. losing speed stepping forward whitewash is breaking over the rail of the board they're going faster and faster gaining gaining trim in the whitewash behind the whitewash before they get to the face they're hanging five but just as they come around the whitewash they're hanging 10 coming up into the pocket of the wave get that lift as you come around the whitewash they start flying they go super fast but instead of going out to the shoulder at the peak of their speed as they come out to just just past the steepest part of the shoulder they're already backpedaling throwing and cutting back again and it was so good that everything else looked like dog meat (laughs) you just and for the rest of the contest i said oh god you know that that dude he went out on the shoulder lost all of his speed then he cut back what a what a cow man i mean seriously all of you guys have got to go back and look at these 15 year old girls their style their technique was spectacular and i think that people are like fish i just think that all longboarders somehow you know kind of the hundred monk hundred monkey rule where if a, if a hundred monkeys do something on one island then the next island over the monkeys will start doing the same thing well i think that's the same thing in longboarding i think they they just the level raised so high and then through the open open girls open women's uh pro women's division then off into the wsl we were seeing um uh, chloe carmon and um, Honolulu Bloomfield and uh, Mason Schramer and all these girls, they seemed to actually raise their game as the, as the contest went on. And that was the exciting thing. So when somebody would paddle out and you you're talking high pro, you were just kind of going, well, it's it, it stop and start. It's slow. It's go fast, then slow down, then go fast and go slow, slow down. It's, um, and the other thing that came back was um, uh, like Chloe Carmon and a lot of these girls are going for, of more of a Donald talking on a speed shape board where in front of the fins, there's a lot of roll. And if you have that roll in front of the fins, well, you basically have a traditional board, like all of a sudden going from instead of, instead of a flat bottom or a deep double concave, when you're going with roll in front of the fins, you can be walked. You can walk in and out of turns. Your, your feet should not be planted. So 
Huh, that was I know that's a long ramble. Sorry about that, Josh. But that's um, I'm just frothing on it. I'm just frothing on it because longboarding's exciting again. Yeah, no, that's cool, man. I mean, you started off describing that the the, the festival showed you something new that the the evol- an evolution in longboarding is taking place. And as you were describing, it, we were talking about the guys, the guys, which is what you'd expect. And all of a sudden, you're like, but really, you illustrated it with the young gals who are just ripping, doing things. Yeah that were basically illustrating exactly what you described, that sort of power surfing where your feet are planted wide and then there's they're trimming, they're walking the nose and they're doing things that you were just mind blowing. And you know, and, and I don't follow longboarding half as close as you for sure. I do read Pacific Longboard Magazine, you know, John Brayson's magazine quite a bit. And, and it, it's just so neat to see so many pictures of young women, not just like, you know, surfing on like a two foot Malibu wave, but like ripping down big waves and just doing super style things. And so I can just imagine in my mind the waves you describe with these young ladies just absolutely tearing it apart. And that's just so cool to hear. It is, it is, it's, it's a quantum leap. And I think, um, surfing, we're, we're about to see a real shift in surfing and the girls will probably become more and more popular for the next five years as the sponsors hop on board, I mean, what sponsor would not want their name associated with uh, a fit, uh, technically, what, what I, w- I want to say attractive, but I don't want to be yeah. Um, yeah. Un- yeah. politically incorrect, but basically very fit, beautiful um, ladies surfing really well, technically well at a level. It's like, like ballerinas on surfboards. It's, right. it's the, the, the power surfing thing, the machismo thing. It's got to fade, man. We've kind of been on this trip for, what, 19 years yeah, now? Yeah, man. It's, uh, no, that, that's cool. Well, I appreciate sort of the uh, the pictorial. Oops. Are we, uh, are you still? I'm here. Oh, cool. Sorry. I thought we had a break there. Um, You did you did a nice job, and I, I can imagine you emceeing dur- during some of the heats and just describing it because I can just picture those waves and everything. So, so that was cool, man. I mean, so Noosa Festival, 28 years running, you got to be the MC. I mean, that's pretty much, like you mentioned, a real pinnacle, and you were so excited because you knew the level of surfing was basically going to up itself, you know, um, at, at the festival. So now, beyond that, right, so you did, for folks who know your name and know what you've been about, like, you know, oh, yeah, it makes sense that Tom would be part of that event, but folks who don't know, right, um, I mean, t- take us through where you're at today. I mean, there's a lot of experience and activities you've been up to for a long time that have put you in a position where you'd even be invited to be MC of this surf festival. So talk about first your shaping, right? Where you're at today with it, what you're focusing on, um, and then maybe we'll start to work backwards a little bit to see how you got there. <laughs> well, actually, Josh, can we, we can we start at the other end and start sort of at the beginning? Because it's the, the shape starting, I make so many different surfboards. And, yeah. uh, and, uh, it 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 would take too long, but yeah, let me start at the other end if you don't mind. Because do it, man. Absolutely. I was uh, I was in nineteen. Uh, I was start. I grew up surfing, starting surfing in the mid nineteen seventies. Shaped my first board in seventy nine. Uh, by through high school, where I was in high school, graduated nineteen eighty three. So I I started nineteen seventy nine. There were a lot of longboards around, and I was surfing Palos Verdes Cove. Um, and grew up in Palos Verdes area, one of the one of the least friendly places to grow up surfing in. And absolutely. surfing the cove was just, you know, it was absolutely gorgeous because it that the the localism and the harsh scene didn't really exist at the cove. It was pretty mellow. Uh, a lot of great longboards around, and you could go to Dewey Weber Surf Shop, pick up a longboard for fifteen bucks. I, I went through about a hundred longboards in those four years. All of my friends were riding big heavy logs. We really got a feel. For a new Ava nose rider, a Decat model, the Hanson Gold Stars, um, the Noel thing, the the the, the Jacob Velzi early boards. I got a. I was riding a balsa. Uh, I actually had three balsa wood boards at one time, uh, a Malibu chip, and a couple of others. One of them being um, uh, a Greg Noel nine six round uh, rounded pin. Oh, Anyways, cool. got to ride all these boards and got a got a real neat understanding of where longboarding ended. And then I moved down to San Diego in 2000 or 1985. And by 1987, I was a team rider for Donald Takayama and was working with Donald on the two plus one setup. 
and really getting a feel for Donald's boards and his modern longboards. Did that for a decade, uh, really enjoying surfing for Donald, winning a lot of contests and so forth, and starting uh, to make movies because we wanted to reinvent the 1960s. We were saying the 60s was such a short window, really from 1962 with Endless Summer One to 1968, 69 in California, 67 in Australia. There was, there was this window where all this evolution in surfing happened, and then it just abruptly ended with the shortboard revolution, and we wanted to actually carry on that stoke. So we went on, and uh, my friends Bill Burke and I and Joel Tudor made surf movies, and uh, Wingnut was made uh, Endless Summer 2, and he made a movie with Joel Tudor called On Safari to Stay, and uh, my crew yeah. made Ten Toes Over, the Bear Butt Adventure, Toes Across America, the Waterman TV show, and then finally Siesta Snolas, which you know, that was my, my run of movies in the 19, um, up until 1996. Oh, awesome, man. So then, but we were always wanting to go ahead, but in the contest world, you really, you had Joel Tudor on one side, which was the traditional side, and then you had the absolute 99.9% .9 of the other side, which was the, the progressive longboarders. And so by that time, I, I felt by 1998, I had done enough in America and in California, I surfed every place, surfed all over Hawaii and uh, came to Australia and said, oh, my gosh, this is the best place. I love Australia. A lot of um, it's, it's, Australia is just is 50 years behind the United States and it can change direction. It doesn't have to follow the United States in every way. They still have socialized medicine down here. Uh, life is very, very easy. Uh, it's it's nearly impossible to be poor, you know, it's, it, so it gives you um, a lot of leeway uh, yeah. to express yourself, do your art. L life is just not all that stressful down here. That's awesome. That's awesome. So then um, while I was here, I was making longboards and then I decided I didn't want to make use fiberglass and resin anymore. And I found polonia wood and polonia wood is a wood that doesn't absorb salt water. It's grown on plantation. It's incredible stuff. So I started making hollow wood boards. And uh, those were featured in Lines from a Poem and uh, Thomas Campbell's movie Sprout and a bunch of other movies. And then with uh, I was really loving the hollow wood boards. And then I went to the Bishop Museum and saw the ancient Hawaiian boards. And I made an alea, or an alea, one alea to start with, and then the olo. And I thought the olo was going to be it, but it's just too big and scary to ride. I mean, fantastic. <laughs> I mean, seriously, everybody in their life, if, if – if you want to be a real surfer, you kind of have to make an Olo and ride an Olo. It's just, it, I think it's a line in the sand, but I, almost nobody agrees with me because there's really only two people in the world that have done it. But anyway. Um, <laughs> but hey, but pause there for a sec. Describe what an Olo is for folks listening who might not know what that kind of board is. Well, the Olo is the, uh, the surfboard of royalty in Hawaii. It's uh, generally 16 to 20 feet long. Whoa. Very, very heavy. Uh, it's a rounded bottom and a round deck. Um, the, it's uh, six inches thick and 19 inches wide. And so it's, it's a very funny feeling in your arm with very pinched rail. So it's a knifey rail. So it's the rail, if you, if you cut a football in half, um, and each, each end of the football would be the rail. And it's thick in wow. the middle and pinched on the, the sides. And when you're sitting on the board, there's reverse rocker. So the board actually has three inches reverse rocker on the deck of the board. And, three inches rocker on the bottom of the board. So when you're taking off in a wave, you're really looking down. And yeah. uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's quite a unique feeling. It's, it's a tremendous excitement catching a nice rolling wave on the Olo. You just, you feel as though the energy of the wave is, comes through that big giant surfboard. It comes into your body and you just absolutely shit yourself, even on a, a just overhead wave. You're just, you're just absolutely beside yourself. When you ride it, yeah, I heard. Uh, I think maybe it was one of the videos I, I watched of you. You have some really great clips and little mini vi vi vignettes, I guess they are, and, and or maybe it was something I read. But you mentioned that with these big, big these wooden boards, you're you're kind, you're not riding on top of the wave as much as you're riding sort of more in the wave, right? The the the, the foam boards we all ride today are floaty. You're kind of on top of the wave, as you mentioned. These big wood boards, they're heavier, and maybe it's the rail characteristics too, but you're more in the wave and you feel it differently. So, I mean, that's kind of what you're describing, I think, is you just, it's a different sensation than just surfing a foam board like most of us do. 
Oh yeah, no, it's it's when you take off on those big boards on a on a sizable wave, you're going so fast, and the roll of the board sucks down, so it pulls the whole board down. So as you take off and the board starts speeding up, it and the wave gets steep, the board sucks down into the wave, and you've got to get to your feet and have your hips parallel with the board because the water comes up and you're like, it's like the parting of the Red Sea in the Bible. Like <laughs> the sea parts, you're, you're standing there on the top of the, in the middle of the wave, basically, with both of your feet facing forward because they'll actually be off the edge of the board because the board's so narrow in the tail. Wow. And you're, you're in the middle of a wave. And it, when you watch a canoe take off, wave, it's a similar sort of thing where the canoe's in the middle of the wave. And if they take off on too big or too steep of a wave, the water will come over the, the, the gunnels of the canoe and, and come into the canoe. Like it's, it's one of those things, you're in the middle of the wave. So then the funny thing is that once the wave gets, gets steep and you're moving, the board itself angles across the wave and you can't stop it. You can't do a bottom turn. The board itself will cut across the wave. And so you're just basically on, you're holding on for the ride. And, uh, and boy, they're fast. And they're actually quite yeah. maneuverable. You'd be very surprised how much control you have of that giant surfboard. Right, right. So as you mentioned, like in kind of like the progression or your, your timeline, so to speak, you know, you you move to hollow boards and then here you are, you discovered this great wood and you started doing wood boards. So at that time when you went, did you go full wood board or were you still making, you know, the, the polyester or, you know, the normal foam boards as well? No, I just went full wood board um, for... But yeah. it was a long time ago, but between 2002 to 2010, it was pretty much only wood. And, uh, and it was really nice. My factory was so pleasant because it was only wood and I had, there was no waste and all the, the foam dust and stuff went out of the gardens and my gardens were booming and my orchard was booming. And, you know, with, with, with that much polonia dust, everything grows. Like it just, really? it breaks down, breaks down in a couple of weeks. It's just incredible. The worms just go berserk. So that was that was a good time. And then the Alayas. So after 2005 or in 2005, we started the Alaya thing. And that that was that was the spinoff from going to Hawaii and looking at the ancient boards and measuring them was making Alaya surfboards. That's just out of thin pieces of wood. And that was such an exciting time here because I was was surfing with David Rostovich and Tom Carroll and Tom Curran was riding them and Dan Malloy. And even Mike Stewart was, we made a limited edition with him and all the, a lot of the great surfers in the world came through my, my house and my factory at that time, really working on the Alea and trying oh. to find out really and, and test yourself. Like, like to, to, to ride in Alea, well, you have to be a, a really good surfer. And of course I struggled. I, I went to a personal trainer twice a week and lost weight and did everything I possibly could <laughs> get my 45, my 40 year old body, um, up, up to speed and actually, you know, good enough to ride those boards. Anyway, yeah. But that, that, what that did is it, it just led to all these other doors because you're just looking at surfing and then you see a surfboard and you actually know what the rail does. And, yeah. uh, and then, of course, I made hollow toothpicks and, you know, wide variety of planks and just about every board I could think of out of wood, you know, going through the whole wood surfboard evolution and that leads to going back to flex. So then with the finless boards, it's really all about having your board flex into the wave. And if it flexes, it does one thing and, and you can do turn, you can really grab water and do, do cutbacks and tube ride and so forth. And then you have Derek Hind, which started the finless thing a few months after I did. On a, again, like fish, like all of a sudden, people all over the world started riding finless surfboards, even though nobody yeah. ever we didn't know each other were doing it, but we're all doing it at the same time. It was bizarre. And me with the, um, <laughs> and Derek taking his board, his fins off down in um, Sydney. And so Derek's went one direction. I went another direction. And then kind of right in between us is this weird 88 movement. That's really hip in Byron Bay where guys took the fins out of their soft longboards and they're riding those things. And it's fun. Um, that's what they're doing. But from that, I began to, to look at surfboards, you know, with all sorts of different ideas because there isn't one way to go across the wave. There's, there's not one way to make a surfboard. There's all these different ways and wood, the oiled wood surface in the bottom simply rides better 
I think. And going back to the balsa, all the balsa wood boards I rode in the late 70s and early 80s, there's something about wood as well. And, uh, and for example, I was out um, with Jerry Lopez. We were surfing Wanigos one day, and we just floated off in the middle of the day. And he said, uh, you know, I'm so happy you are working with wood and bringing back wood surfboards. And he said, just like a lot of the other great surfers like Phil Edwards, said, um, you know, there wasn't a real easy change to foam. That wood, once you went to foam, you lost something. And you, yeah. it was actually a clear win. Like, it maybe it's a 51% win, but you lost 49%. Like, right. you trim through whitewash, you lost trim in small waves. The, the whole wood feeling is really, really, really good. And I, I understand that Phil Edwards never really was all that excited about going to foam. You know, he just says, no, wood rides better. It just does. Yeah. Huh. So now. I, that's really interesting, you know. Yeah, sorry. Oh, no, I shouldn't. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm babbling too fast and so forth. But so now what I'm doing, what, and that's what I wanted to get to where I, where I am now is I'm making longboards because I'm excited about longboarding again. And I'm working with different flex patterns where behind the fin, there's really flexible in the middle of the board from the fin box to the middle of the board. Basically, it's pretty stiff. And then it starts getting much more flexible in the nose on my longboard. So when you're walking the nose, you get that reverse rocker. And once you or on the nose and peg that reverse rocker, you, um, you're just in another gear. All of a sudden, you're, the other boards have up to five gears, and you're up to seven, I think. Like, you're just all of a sudden you're just going to hyperspace. And it makes it just, it just, it, it's a really, really engaging, fresh way of longboarding that makes me excited again because you're bouncing. It's like riding a trampoline versus riding, yeah. you know, your board. And then, yeah. of course, with the finless boards, I have the same sort of evolution where, um, the exact opposite, you actually have a kind of a stiffer board in the front half of the board. And then the tail is very, very flexible, almost like a like a limp beaver tail, the, the last foot of the board. And with that, without fins, you can take off and go left and cut right and then just do carving turns and really engage the rail and, and pull into the tube. But at the same time, all of a sudden, just put on your out, put your weight on your out he, outside heel and you're just into a spin. And yeah. um and watching watching the guys and the riders and even even the Derek Hine crew, when you come off the bottom and, and engage a rail and then you spin out on the wave, you're you're accelerating through a spin. Like the spin is not a trick. It's actually a functional maneuver because boy, you go faster and you start to do a spin. Yeah. That's that's far out. I mean, I've seen guys ride them. I haven't ridden one. I've just ridden soft tops with no fins, you know, but it's very, very different what you're talking about. But but let me let me ask you kind of when you first you first discovered the polonia wood you started making boards with it was did you go did you model your early boards off of somebody else did you go look at the hawaiian boards did you get inspiration from the way the wooden boards used to be made like how did you go through that process of just even starting to make wood boards or you just start playing around with it yourself how did that go down well Again, I, I started from the base of surfing balsa wood boards and loving balsa wood, just loving it. And then going to the Olo and the toothpicks, which are the real, real hollow, um, what they call kook boxes, long, hollow plywood boards. They have a, a they, they surf so good. They surf yeah. so good. All right. Again, like, if, well, if I had two surfboards in the world, one would be a toothpick and one would be a five foot Alea. Those are, those are the uh -huh. two extremes because they're, they're the extremes. The two extremes in surfing, both of them are ridiculously fast. But um, so uh, with the the Olo, the Aleas, I started with the ancient Hawaiians and, and look, reading about them. With the toothpicks, I worked with Bill Wallace. Bill Wallace is sort of my mentor here in Australia, and he's now passed, but he left me all of his templates and he taught me how to make toothpicks or kook boxes, which they will become popular again because they surf so incredibly well. But you get yeah. the dynamics. Of a, of a finless board with a square rail and a rounded bottom that's 16 feet long and light. And then with the, the nose riders, I went back and pretty much started with a Malibu chip and then worked forward because with a wood board, you, you have to flatten out the rocker quite a bit. They, they, will, they will push water if, you, if they're heavy and um, there's too much rocker. But yeah, for the most part, I, I was remaking uh, the, the, the best boards for the 1960s and, and putting them into a hollow wood surfboard. So yeah. there's, there's just so many boards. I guess what I'm saying is just like, I'm writing a book right now. And I think that 
I'll, I'll change gears because I'm 50 years, 54 years old. And I've made these boards and I've templated the boards like the Duke's Ola from Hawaii and, and uh, the Duke Chief Packy's Olas and Hot Curls and all these all these boards over time. And I want to publish a book with the actual rails of, of the great surfboards, including the fish and, uh, you know, guns and stuff and try to get permission from a handful of people to, to publish the rails and template shapes that I didn't make. But put them into a book so you can actually really get the dynamics down because it actually will take me probably five years to do it and then I'll be 60 years old uh, to write the book. But, but to put it all together, to try to put this this incredibly wide field of surfing into a cohesive set of rules. And the rules won't, won't really be all that consistent, but there'll be a consistent, you know, a, a set of rules anyway. They might contradict yeah. them. <laughs> yeah man that's cool i mean part of what you know after look, looking at your background and everything on social media and reading your website you know and, and what you're doing is you're what your desire to share right you're sharing your craft you're sharing your love and passion for for the design of these boards for the boards themselves but you also do that day to day like you have this really cool thing with your wife at your house called the surf stay where you invite people in to stay with you for some time make a board with you and go, go go ride it you know so so talk a little bit about that because that sounds really really rad man i just added it to my bucket list today when i saw that <laughs> yeah. oh look, you know you, you come here and i just like to say okay just we're gonna go through this nice and slow um let's start with your template you know well first of all how do you want to surf that i say well that, let, let's work on the template for that and of course if you're making one of my finless boards we're looking at reverse rocker in the tails so we're looking at two inches of reverse rocker if you're looking at a, a gun, big wave gun, you're looking at pretty much flat rocker through the tail. And then, of course, if you're looking at a nose rider, you're looking at all this lift in the tip of the tail. So we talk about the rocker. And um, and then we go through in the thickness and um, the template. So the uh, bottom rocker, the deck rocker. Then we go through the outline, the template of the outline. And then we cut that out. We cut it out with hot wires. We start with a big block of, of um, extruded polystyrene. Cut that out with hot wires. Do that. And then look at the rails. And say, okay, well, these are the rails from other boards that I have all written down here. Let's let's work on the rail that you want to make, and then we shape that rail into the board. But at the, at the time, we're talking about how water flows, the the history of that rail, where that rail came from, why it's this rail and not that other rail over there, and really put 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 a board together. And it takes days to do, and um, I'm exhausted in the end, and the customer's really exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> Gee, you learn, you know. I think we go we go through you know, the entire history of surfing in every board in a way. And so, yeah, they come here. It generally takes three days to make a basic board, sometimes four. And uh, we, we try to, you know, break it up and, uh, you know, go surfing and stuff, to, you know, trying different boards while we do it. But yeah, that, that is sort of, um, well, well, that's what I enjoy doing most of all, because I don't like just delivering a board. I like people to be completely um, engrossed and uh, what he, a part of that board, that board becomes a part of them. And, you know, they're a part of that board. Yeah, no, that's way cool, man. And so you also mentioned, like, when we were kind of chatting before starting up is that, you know, you'd love to be able to, or maybe you already are, and I bet you are, when you have people come stay with you, et cetera, teaching just surf culture, you know, is a sharing. And one of the other, I think, maybe quotes it was I read about you was like the the idea of ohana, which is sort of family, the term like family, community in, in Hawaiian, that's something that's very near and dear to you. And so tied to that then you know you just maybe not just but you have a phd you know so you haven't just been shaping boards man you've been going to school taking classes and got yourself a phd so so tie all that together because what it is it sounds like to me what you're interested in doing is through that is you know you have a thesis on the sustainability of the surfboard industry but you're looking to take that further and just sort of spreading i don't know your own passion for these boards with others through writing etc so talk about your PhD and how that f factors into all the board stuff we've been talking about here. Well, um, actually just yesterday I got the, the letter saying, yes, you, you have completed your PhD. You're done. Uh, uh, all examiners have signed off under the chair. Examiner. So yeah, I'm a little bit dusty right now because <laughs> it took five and a half years to do it. Um, but the idea is that surfing is, 
primarily a cultural activity. And the reason that uh, surfboards are still made in little factories all over the world is that we have a culture of supporting surfboard artisans. My book is called Surfboard Artisans for the Love, and surfboard makers make surfboards because they love making surfboards and that just have a calling to do it. So it's almost like uh, a tribal or ancient, you know, like you just have to make surfboards. And then you want to explain to people or, or try to bring people into your into your world. And um, I'll go back to Donald Takayama, who is really my, my mentor. And he just invited everybody into his world. And he had an, a giant family around him, which was his basically Ohana. And he spread this culture of of accepting people into your into your family and being more than just a competitor more than just a surfer you know you're actually become a family member member in a community within surfing and that's what longboarding is and that's why I've, i'm so excited about longboarding um recognizing its culture over a sport like i asked chloe carmon and i asked uh, rachel tilly and all, you know, these girls are saying, you know, what are you doing here? And they said, oh, because I'm here because everybody else is here. I'm here for the, the community. I'm here to learn. I'm here to hang out with my friends. I'm learning here to travel. I'm learning here to I'm here to learn about Australia. And like just yesterday, I had um, uh, uh, Quinny, uh, Justin, Justin, oh God, I'm just basing now what won the news, news of the WSL, Justin. He's called Jay Quinney on Instagram. Okay. You know, you get the handles in your mind and you think, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> what the actual name is. But he was out here and, and him and a bunch of the WSL guys came out to my factory yesterday. And, you know, they're loving it because, I was, you know, talking story and um, about the templates and all this different stuff. And so anyways, it's the community. And so my, my thesis is that the uh, the culture of surfing and especially of longboard surfing is extremely important because it, it is the thing that keeps the surfboard artisans going and keeps the stoke and it's this culture that people are attracted to and the culture includes family but also includes music art dance um so many other aspects it, it dress uh, hairstyle the whole way you look and feel and become a part of of this this culture which is really 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 bitching and i don't know if it's all that i remember santa cruz was pretty um divided when i used to go there 25 years ago but um i think that for the rest of the world they're really picking up on the the positivity of the longboard culture and that's yeah. why i'm excited yeah. and, and, yeah, that, and that, cool. the shortboard culture is, is there as well but i think it's really it, well it, it's in it's in all the surfing pretty much except the the top um the top pros <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i know no it's true i mean even here and I, i'm just traveling around in santa cruz for sure because i surf out here every day and i've been here my whole life pretty much um is showboarding is different that culture is different i think it's it's it, it's gradually changing the longboarding culture is much more embracing and it's more there's much more of a community feel to it and much more welcoming when you go somewhere new and you know that there we could speak on that topic of how 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 shortboarding got to be where it is you know for a long time um but i think you know after listening to you i do realize where it's like the board the board is like the unify is like the central focal point of that longboard community if you really think about it you know i mean it's like people have their style you could drop knee you could do this you could do that but really it's like the board and what i've really liked watching about the longboard um, at least the scene in Santa Cruz, and I'm guessing it's the same everywhere, is, as and you mentioned it too, is moving from the high-performance boards, which are kind of short boardy flare with the colors and the fins and this and that to just the old school. And these things, when I say old school, they're just beautiful. They're works of art, you know, and people treat them as such. And you look at them, and even if it's on the top of some guy's car, you can sit and stare at it, and you just wish it hung on the wall of your house, you know? So I think there's that beauty, that art, and you nailed it with your book, I think, title is that surfboard artisans, you know? Whether you make them or you just appreciate them as art, like I do, and many do, it's just that there's something special and different about the, the longboard world than that you don't quite find as easily with the shortboard world. It seems to be like that. Yeah, I, I would I would have to agree. You know, it's just like 
Well, okay. For example, there I was sitting next to Will Hayden Smith, who's been in the WSL contest series forever. And one of the competitors loses their board and it's gonna, it looks like it's going to go into the rocks. And another competitor paddles, paddles in, in uh, to grab the board, grabs the noses of both boards, takes a beating, holds onto both boards. The other surfer swims in. She tosses her the other board and they both paddle out talking together. Yeah. And I looked, I looked at Will and I said, have you ever seen that in a shortboard comp? <laughs> no, no, that would never happen in a shortboard contest. You know, so that, yeah. that is, I think it, the, the culture of longboarding is, is, is almost like for social betterment. It's like I, I equate it with Duke Kahanamoku. Duke, Duke didn't have to travel around the world teaching us how to surf, but he did. Yep. Yeah, that's just, it's the way it is. I really feel it does have roots to uh, Hawaii and the Ohana and the spirit of Hawaii. And I, I really get troubled when people discount that, that notion. It's like, it's all, oh, that's just, you know, hippie, trippy garbage. I'm just like, nah, man, that, that actually is reality. And if you're not plugged into that, you're missing out. Yeah, uh, yeah, I agree, man. And that, that's a cool perspective for sure. I mean, one of the kind of themes and that, that I, I'll, I'll tie to that is that we the show i mean just this ocean life and it's could be you know just the feeling of being in the water and it means different things to all of us the sense of flow peace that you find being in the water but here we're talking about just riding a board like the actual the craft itself is meaningful at to a deep relative i mean called a spiritual level and that's that's cool to say you know so then so so tom then let's go back to you then and like where you're at so we just had you know like you mentioned you're 54 You've had this rad life of surfing and shaping and interacting with incredible people. One of the things you mentioned was, you know, well, let me just, let me ask you this, your plans going forward, right? I mean, longevity, you're stoked. It's neat to hear that you've just been so revitalized and energized by what you saw at the Noosa Festival with just longboarding and you're stoked on it, right? That we all need that just stoke. I mean, I just started doing foil surfing because I was kind of just bored with regular surfing because i've been to the same old stuff or ever you know and so i'm foil surfing and i'm stoked because it's something new and we all need the shot of like new stoke and so you have that again which is rad but now going forward like you're you, the idea of longevity and what are you doing kind of mentally physically just to keep yourself in shape so you can keep doing this stuff in the water whether it's shaping or not or just enjoying the ocean and all these things for as long as, long as you can what does that look like for you well, it, it, I, I'm pretty crap at working out. You know, I, I, I drink beer and stuff pretty much. I have a few drinks every day. Uh, I'm not I'm not a fit guy. And I, and I know I probably should be. But um, God, we've got a lot of parties here. I mean, geez, I'm, I can't believe how many, like, how many parties. Our house is, is just a, a buzz with, um, with people all the time. And, uh, and then, of course, I work. I'm just an absolute workaholic. So I'm out there in the shed, you know, 24-7 making boards and I've always got, you know, five or six on the go. And I work by myself almost entirely. So I, I just do everything myself. So um, my, my, my physical fitness is, is not spectacular. And then um, I, I belly board a lot. I don't, I'm actually, the last few years, actually a lot of trouble with my hips and I've been belly boarding. And of course I love that. And I'm, I'm kind of following George Greeno's steps where if, if you get dated um, by the crowd and so forth, you grab the belly board and you can walk down the beach and you're the only surfer in the world at that point. <laughs> yeah. Belly board under your arm. Nobody knows who you are. You're just all of a sudden <laughs> into an anonymous entity and you're looking for these little keyholes in the shore break and, you know, and having a great time because, you know, the, the, the points are crowded and the good, the, the, what you would call a, a good break is crowded. However, right next to that good break is a really, really good bay, way for belly boarding. And there's nobody there, you know, right. Like, well, Ryan Birch, you know, I think I, I, I consider Ryan Birch the best surfer in the world at this time. And when I was over in California, he says, man, this little high tide break, I'm going to show you something. And kind of they had this secret little pile of rocks and at high tide, it just spins off this little shelf. And he goes, yeah, man, almost every afternoon I'd be on here riding my belly board and that stuff. And I'm kind of going, <laughs> and he goes, yeah, man, I just I just love surfing. But I, you know, when, when I'm surfing, there's always people looking at me and, and always cameras. And he just goes. I like to be anonymous, you know, at times. Yeah. And that's really what that, that revitalizes me as well. So, you know, I kind of think to myself that I have 
300 surfboards left in me right now. Like I've got my PhD, yeah. I can make 300 longboards, and then uh, my, my finless and belly boards are something different. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll make those forever, but uh, yeah, like that's it. You know, I, I think of my brother who makes you know, 50 boards a week or something, and mm. and I've uh, and you know all that you know the, the numbers that people do it, but I've got content with that. Content with the fact that if <laughs> yeah. I make 100 surfboards that with fins on them in the rest of my life, that that makes that'll make me happy. So I'm really going to try to do my very best to make 300 more. And that's it. <laughs> and then after that, I'll be a belly board. Belly board yeah, and, be and just teaching. Just teaching. I have no interest in making a board myself. Just teaching. Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. So, let, so on that, I mean, what have you seen – or what's your perspective on the next generation of, of not just surfboard, like, you know, um, foam board makers, um, but like the wood stuff, the more artisanal thing, things that like well, you're dabbling in. Do you see a, a crop popping up that are getting folks sto- stoked on this as well? I absolutely see it. You know, the, the extruded polystyrene stone doesn't absorb water. And once you not have a foam that doesn't absorb water, well, then you don't need fiberglass anymore. And, right. Fiberglassing is a fantastic art. It's a beautiful art, but man, it's ancient history. It, it's old technology, very, very old technology. It doesn't really work very good. Um, when you can wrap a board with wood and um, the extruded polystyrene foam and make it so that you can get your flex patterns just right, you're on such a different plane because you don't have to wear a gas mask. You you need the amount of tools that you need are minimal compared to a glassing factory. I think a glassing factory, I was counting with Jake and I think you need 60 pieces of equipment to do a wow. reasonable job. And when you're doing this stuff, you need a hot wire, uh, a vacuum bag and all that stuff's pretty, pretty basic stuff. And the way that I've worked it with the glues are pretty basic. Like it's, but my system is so incredibly simple and um, I'm going to Taiwan and I've got one of my good buddies over there and I'm showing him how to do it. And I've showed people um, in different places around the world how to do it. And I, yeah, I just, I like people making their own homemade surfboards. So I think that that's what we're looking at. I think you're looking at a world where there's just going to be a slow revolution from, from the shadows where people that cannot afford a glassing factory can afford the raw, the, the veneers of Polonia, the extruded polystyrene, a vacuum bag, this kind of simple stuff. And they can make great, great, great surfboards without outlaying a lot of money. And I think that you'll, I think that the uh, the rest of the world's going to pick up on it like wildfire. It's just, it's a revolution that's slowly exploding, but it's a, it's a, it's a slow burn, but it's happening. Yeah, right on, man. Now, how about like the? And I heard from stuff about Polonia Wood, and I, I, I don't want to say what I think I heard because I don't want to get it wrong. But in terms of like a sustainable, um, sustainably harvested and and, and sort of um wood i mean it, it feels like that's a good source of lumber for this that that tree itself is real sustainable etc i mean what, what are your thoughts on that oh it absolutely is yeah here in australia there's um quite a few polonia plantations i, I get all a lot of my wood from an old guy that's I, I don't know probably 95 right now that planted them 20 years ago and they're slowly going through his crop of them like they're they're all over the place here and i don't actually use much but then i got I'm getting my polonia sheets from China and China has been using polonia forever. And at first I was very, very anti thinking, I don't, I don't want to get you know, import something from China, blah, blah, blah. But then you think about it again, wait a minute. Now China have actually been, they, they grow, they, they, they love the stuff. I mean, it is such a renewable um, source of wood. And then at these sheets that I get, and I, I, whoever makes these sheets of wood, I can crawl into their mind because they get these, these piles of offcuts and the way that they cut and glue these big sheets of wood together and then they cut them with a knife. I can, I'm, I'm inside the mind of the gentleman who is making this stuff. <laughs> I've, I've used Polonium for nearly 20 years. I love it. And um, I think that there's, I, I, I want to go meet the person that makes my sheets because there, you would think that most, most kind of, um, it's, it's, not, it's not plywood. It's actually sheet, big chunks of wood that are glued together and cut with and flayed with a knife. So he'll make wow. like a table-sized piece of wood that's four inches thick, and he'll have a knife that must be eight feet across, and he'll slice it. And he's slicing these things and 
you know, between two and five millimeter thick sheets. Wow. And, um, the way that they're glued together is just spectacular. Like it, it to me, the most artisan, art, artisanal part of my surfboard is whoever glued these sheets of uh, wood together and cut <laughs> with a giant knife because I can't believe it. But anyways, so the, yeah, I think that that's, you know, it's, it's just going to, it's turning the, um, the surfboard world upside down. And I think that the, um, the fire wire boards, people say, oh, you know, they're made, you know, you know, in a giant factory and so forth. But I said, yeah, but you know, those trees, it's still a tree, man. And it's still taking carbon out of the air. And it's, it's a great way of making surfboards, even if it is by fire wire, like, yep. you, you, like Jerry Lopez says, you take the good with the bad. Like it's very hard. It's, it's easy to have an emotional attachment to a certain idea. But once you step back, like Jerry says, well, you know, try to look at the big picture. These people have jobs, you know, and um, right. they're doing it, you know, and especially with wood. So, yeah, yeah. The, the Polony is the bomb. It's just it's just the it's just the best wood. Seriously. Right on. Yeah, that's cool. You can't you can't have it both ways all the time with surfboard, you know, um, just manufacturing. And I've, I mean, I have friends here who glass and shape, and there's a lot of different perspectives and philosophical and emotional, and it's it's tough, you know. But I do, it does feel, and I again, I'm, I'm I have it at arm's length. So I'm not, I don't do that as a trade. I, I have friends who do, but it feels like it's starting to gradually change, you know, for the better as these materials that are a bit more sustainable and renewable are coming to be more readily available, and the guys who make their livings working with this stuff are adopting the techniques to work with that stuff, you know, I mean, if you've been using, um, one tool forever, it's kind of hard. I mean, that's how you make your money. It may be hard to shift over to a new tool, um, that lets you use this, this new material, you know? Um, but, but so Tom, the 2019 this year, you're going to, you're ramping down your board, you know, you got 300 left in you. That's what you say. You know, what other, what other big things you have kind of lined up or if at all, uh, for yourself in 2019, any trips or anything other, anything else really cool you're looking forward to? Well, um, aside from traveling a bit, uh, making boards in different places, there is a, a, a pie in the sky sort of idea that uh, a group of, you know, very intellectually and, and funded people want to put together a school for teaching surfing. But, but what they want to teach is they want to teach kids how to follow their passion and create a job and a living from, from their passion because the kids in high school these days seem to be sort of brain dead. I mean, I, I go in there and I give these talks and I want to slap them and take their pulse, you know, like when these kids yeah. walk into high school. And, and I think that the old school of teaching seems to have gone by as used by date because kids, if they want to know something, they Google it. Like you can right. do when, when we were, when I was young, you had to go to the USC library to find the proper book on something, you know, really obscure, where now you just Google it and you have it, you, you like your phone has the entirety of human knowledge in it, in it, in its possession. Like, and so I think that that education, the way we see the world is different. And I think that the education system desperately needs to catch up. So I'm, um, I'm actually working with a group of people with the, um, with Sage Publications and that Coagula method, I may have mispronounced that, Coagula method of teaching where you actually get a group of students together that share the same passion and they just run with it and you just say okay what are we going to do how are we going to learn today and you just put them out and you say you do this you do this you do this 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 is the goal and then they come back with their information to the teacher and they teach the teacher basically and the teacher you know works with these group group various groups of students that share the same passion to, in order to help them find a job in the future because the jobs in the future are not manufacturing. They're not right. the same thing that the jobs in the future, what you're doing right now, that's like this podcast is about um, talking to people, sharing ideas. And, and, and somehow I think that most of the jobs in the future, the good paying jobs are going to be about how well you can sell ideas face to face with people or communicate. And you've got to communicate across phones, video, yeah. you know, writing all these different di disciplines. And I think that, we want to shape the minds of the next generation. So the, it, it, it's a big deal, but there might actually be a, a, a surfing class for all everybody listening. If you're young and you're thinking about going to university, you want to do it, you'll do it yourself. You can email me and say, Tom, I'm really interested because we're going to do sort of a post high school class university level thing here where you come here. And if your passion is marketing in the surfing world, we'll teach you how to market. 
If your passion is shaping, I'll teach you how to shape. If your passion is being a professional surfer, well, yeah, these people will judge you and will videotape you, you know, but working with, with kids. But see, surfing, surfing is, is like a huge, valuable thing. The value of surfing is more valuable than coal. You know, it's nearly as valuable as oil. Like there's, there's so much value in oh, surfing. Wow. Yeah, yeah. But, but the value goes directly from the infinite waves that come to shore to the surfers. They smoke and it makes their life worth living. It makes their life valuable. And, and from that value, we get our culture, we get our ohana, we get all this and that and the other stuff. Largely, it was surfing works into it. Where all the money is tied up in stuff like coal and um, raw materials and fashion and, um, and things that are made overseas for very cheap and brought in almost like, like um, raw materials and selling that stuff. And it's, it's just different. It's, the surfing has value, but the value is direct value where money value, where coal starts as coal, it turns into money. And then it, yeah. that value is translated as money where surfing is direct value. And when, I, when we look at the world with Taiwan, South Korea, Japan, Africa, India, all these people turning onto surfing, the value of surfing is massive and it yeah. is one of the most valuable assets the world has and surfing has no direction no university courses almost no university courses nothing really guiding this incredibly massive ship through the ocean it's always just kind of been bearing and and, and flowing with the wind but we can actually begin to say well if you want to put yourself give yourself a job that you love give you a job a job that you wake up every day like i do like i wake up every day i'm sure you do too like you just wake up stoked you pop out of bed in the morning just going man i've got to get my breakfast going and i've got to get back out get get out there because i've got these all these things that i'm doing i'm really passionate about it well why why can't all these kids feel that for a moment we want to put that into an educational system where that's the way life actually is that that's a that's a normal life yeah you're driving and, and, and hate your job and you're sitting in traffic and you, all you want is something different. That's not a normal life. That's an anomaly. You've kind of screwed up, dude. Like we, <laughs> we can do better. And, and um, so anyways, that's that my um, 2019 and um, yeah, with, I'm, I'm working with a group of my PhD and especially getting my PhD as of yesterday really puts me in a lot better place to actually pursue this. <laughs> yeah, man. That's so cool. I mean, look, what you described is what everybody and I'll kind of almost throw it out there, 99.9% of everybody who's going to listen to this is on the path, is trying to reach toward, which is finding your passion where you could you could make money doing something that you love, right? And it's, it's, it's relatively rare for most folks just because life, you make certain decisions and you go down a different path because there was, there's not a lot of guidance early on, which is what you're talking about, which is having some kind of educational format that says, what do you love to do in the surfing realm? It's marketing, it's video production, it's design of boards, it's whatever. And here is a curriculum you could take. And when you're done with it, you'll be really good at that thing. And in theory, you know, you got to still work really hard, but you can have a job doing what you love, right? And and I think that's so in key because that's what's, I mean... <laughs> I've strived my whole life for that, you know, is there, how do I make decent money where I can afford to live in Santa Cruz and California and still be in the water? And I've tried like five different things and, you know, um, <laughs> I haven't quite cracked that one yet, but it's okay. You know, that the podcast is getting me close just for f- pure sheer enjoyment, you know, but, but anyway, what I, what you guys are talking about, it's like, it just man this light bulb is going off my head and and for folks listening i'll definitely put a link uh tom to your website in in the show notes so if, i mean and i got actually a couple of kids i'm thinking about just graduating college who are kind of world travelers who might actually be really interested in that but uh i think that's awesome man and i can't wait to see how that turns out dude so hey if we can dude when this thing gets up and running maybe it's a year from now i'd love to have you back on to hear how it's going how that it, that whole curriculum and the whole idea of that it was working out because i think it's just incredible it is and one last thing so like my son was it was in in 11th grade you're just starting 11th grade and the um that counselor says well you know finley what do you want to do and finley said i want to be a rock and roll star and the counselor kind of scoffed and said oh yeah you know i mean finley you know we all we all want to be a rock and roll star you know blah 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 but what what he really wanted to be and he goes well no i would Last night I was just at dinner with Jack Johnson, um, a guy from the Beastie Boys, and a, and a guy, um, the drummer from the Whitlams, and uh, 
you know, they're all, they're all multimillionaires. Like, why, why can't I do that? Right. And, right. and then the next thing is like, oh, you know, they all want to be a professional surfer. Oh, you know, we, well, you know, I've hung out with Thomas Campbell. You know, my friends are um, right, uh, right. Joel Tudor, you know, like they're actually professional surfers. They're pretty They're set up, you know, David Rostovich. And, you know, so, yeah, no, to think that you, you can't be one of those guys is ridiculous. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And then there's just yeah, then because yeah, yeah, no, I get you. We can go uh, I love this topic. I keep going on it. But one last kind of thing is because it's easy for somebody outside looking in saying, Oh, how what are you talking about? Like, yeah, good luck, because there's no like set path because to get to that point now requires you to figure it out for yourself. The Dave Rostoviches, the Joel Tudors, all those guys you mentioned, they had no like clear path from step one through hundred to make it right. They got, they worked really hard. They made the right choices. They made, they probably failed in some places and succeeded because there's no clear path of what you guys are talking about is laying out a path right through this educational, you know, format where it's like, Hey dude, go down this path and look, you'll have the tools that you need to maybe, you know, have a shot at that. Exactly. So, anyway, dude, I love it, man. I really love it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, so Tom, look, man, I'm so stoked. I now you got me all fired up. I can keep going here, but uh, I know you got to get back to all your work and 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 getting start crank, cranking down on your 300 boards you got left in you. Um, I really appreciate you taking time and sharing with us, man. Uh, it was so fun. I learned a ton about boards and just loved hearing about everything you're up to, man. So I really I'm honored to have you, and I really appreciate your time. Well, thank you so much, Josh. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Awesome. Okay, man. Well, take care and we'll maybe check in with you in about a year or something and see how all that stuff's going. Great. Yeah, please do, brother. Cheers. Awesome. Cheers. Hey there. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast today. We really appreciate all the support. Uh, if you like what you heard, uh, please, you know, uh, hype us up on social media. Always appreciate, you know, spreading the word. Uh, give us a nice little rating on the uh, your podcast app and uh, just keep tuning in. If you're interested in being on the show and sharing some of your life stories, uh, hit me up, josh at thisoceanlife.tv. You can PM me on uh, Facebook or Instagram. Anyway, thanks again for being here and uh, have a great day.